Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Crossing Church. I've asked this before. Uh, we have football fans in the house, right? Give me a hoorah. Wait, that's Marines, but... Come on, football fans. Amen. amen. Okay, give me an amen. Very good. Did anyone play football? Yes. yes. I have someone, yes. I played football. Can you tell? Yeah. With my physique. Okay. So I played football, and um, I was decent at it. I played it throughout uh, high school. And it was always a double-edged sword in football, because on Friday nights, I loved the intensity I loved what was happening. I loved getting out there like, oh, I'm going to kill everybody on the other team. You know, you're like in this like place. But then um, there's always this like emotional high and then this like really huge drop, especially if you lost, you know, which happened about half the time for me and my team. Um, But there's always this emotional high and then there's this emotional like dip. And this especially happened on Saturday morning. Now, what happens on Saturday morning? Anyone who played football? Cartoons. (laughs) After the cartoons. You watch? Film. Okay. So, yes, you watch film. And, you know, (laughs) getting filmed is is a double-edged sword, is it not? Because you'll be there on the field, and you'll (laughs) hit the wrong guy. Like, if you're a lineman, and you're like, wait a second, I totally just hit the wrong guy. It's like, oh, but no one saw that. Except they did. Because you're being filmed. And you can pretty much guarantee the next day, they're going to be like, Bertram, that was pusillanimous. Well, that's what they used to say to me. Yes, look up the word if you don't know it. It's a great word. That was terrible, or that was great. Look. Look at you, everyone. Look at this person who either did great or messed up. Right? And the film didn't lie. It kind of showed you what was going on. And it was a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, you loved when things went well. And you loved when people could see things go well. And on the other hand... <laughs> And never quite looked as good as you imagined in your mind. You know, you imagine your Heisman and people and jumping to really kind of look like um, a chicken with its head cut off out there on the field, right? And there was something very intentional, though, about that film. And the reason for the film, the reason they had it was to make sure that you were doing what you're supposed to do in your position and that if you didn't do it right, you could see it, you could analyze it, you could understand the mistakes, you could understand the error, and you hopefully could make efforts in practice the next week to fix that error. So that the next time they called that play, You were ready, and you hit the right person. When I think about that, there's a principle that you see. And the principle basically 
is that when you look back and you get the perspective of hindsight, you can begin to actually learn things about yourself. You can learn how to do something better. You can learn where you went wrong. And this isn't just a principle in football. This is a principle all over the place in the military after action reviews. In different businesses and organizations, you look and you do evaluation on the things that have happened. When you are a musician, you can look back and see, I did this well, I didn't do that well. You can listen to the recording. Even when I'm preaching, I often go back and I listen to how I'm speaking and I listen to the amount of times I say, um, well, that was like 20 times, man. You got to stop doing that. You know, those are the kind of things where you look back and get the perspective of hindsight, which when used well, serves well. But it isn't just a principle in all these different areas that we interact with today. I actually believe it's a spiritual principle. That it is a spiritual principle that you look back at your life and you understand your present from the context and perspective of your past, the things that have brought you to where you are, and you go to the Holy Spirit and you go to the Father, and you go to Jesus Christ, the Son, God, three in one, who loves you, and you ask him for insight and power to change. It's a biblical principle. And, and really, I, I, I want to boil it down to this. If you intend to win, you need to look back so you can move forward. If you have the intention of succeeding and of doing well, not only ultimately in life, but in the different areas of your life, and not just the way you define what doing well means, but how God defines what doing well means. If you have the passion and the intention to do that, then you need to look back Take the perspective of hindsight so that you can learn from the past, live in the present, and move forward into the future. In essence, if you're going to race, you need to race to win. Don't enter into a race and then dog it. The point of a race, the point of... The competition is to win. And actually, the Apostle Paul, a guy who persecuted the church and had an unbelievable change of heart, if you want to read about him, go to the book of Acts. He wrote 17 of the 27 documents we have in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he talks about this very thing. And he talks about it in a letter a letter that he writes to a church in a city called Corinth. It was a big city. It was a prosperous city. It was a city that was filled with wealth and success and technology and vice and sin and degradation. A typical city. 
And Paul writes to these people in Corinth who were unbelievably talented. They had amazing spiritual gifts. They knew so much about God's word. They had a lot of knowledge. They had a lot of skill. But what they were lacking was they were lacking an intentionality about looking at themselves, understanding what was going on, inviting the Holy Spirit to bring in conviction about the sinful patterns in their life and move them to freedom. And the Corinthians, they were a prideful people. And one of the reasons they had so much pride was that they had one of four of the largest festival of games in the entire ancient world. They had the Olympic games. We still have those today. But they had another festival called the Isthmian Games. And in these games, people would come together and thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people would gather, even hundreds of thousands, into this small place. They would worship Poseidon, the god of the sea, and then they would go and watch athletes and boxers and wrestlers and all these different people who had trained their bodies to be at the height of physical aptitude and they would go and watch them and celebrate and engage in partying and revelry and all the things that goes along with that. And the Corinthians would love to do that right with them. And Paul uses this imagery when he's talking to them and he's talking about the race. And he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 23 through 24. And here's what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. In essence, what he is saying is run to win. Don't enter a race without the desire to win. The athletes that were in Paul's minds, they did not go there because they just wanted to get third place. The athletes in the Olympics don't go through the strict training and cast off all the things that are going to hinder them from doing the goal that is in their mind. They are singularly focused because they want to win bronze. Wait, no. It's because they want gold. And that shiny gold medal is what they see in their mind, and that's what gets them through the torture that they put themselves through physically to get to the place where they can compete. And Paul is making this point. If you intend to win, he assumes that you intend to win. And he talks about our life and compares it to a race, a race, a competition, something that is difficult, but something that when you see it, there is a prize ahead of you, a goal. He says this again, and um, he talks about throughout this entire chapter, 
what that means to race to win a goal. He says again in 1 Corinthians 9.25, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. When Paul's talking to this church and talking to us today, what he is saying is that so often we put so much effort into gaining temporal things. These athletes go through unbelievable amounts of time and training to earn a crown that was literally dried, withered celery tied together. Of course, they wanted the fame. They wanted people to see them. They wanted the prestige that came with it, but these were temporal things. And he makes this comparison and says, if they're doing this, if they're going through this training, how much more should those who will gain eternal reward work to train themselves? Work to understand what's going on in their lives. Work to have a goal. Work to not only have a goal, but then to enter systematically into a training program intended to get you to that goal. We all who follow Christ have entered into a race. We have entered into a competition. We have entered into something that is difficult, but it's worth it. And what makes it worth it is the goal at the end. What makes it worth it is when we look and see what God has for us. When we see that God, he has eternal life waiting for us. That all the pain of this world will be gone. All the emotional issues that we deal with on a daily basis will be gone. All the physical problems that we have in our body, the disease, the way our bodies break down as we get older, the way that our minds don't work like they used to, the way that we get frustrated because we can't focus as easy, these things will be gone. God has this unbelievable, perfect, amazing goal that is mouthwatering in its implications and is unbelievably amazing. Beyond anything we can experience in this life, there is a goal, there is a prize. And Paul had that prize in his sight. And he encourages us, look at that prize. Look at what God can do. But think about that goal. If you were to put yourself, imagine yourself in that place in heaven with God, with those you have loved and you'd ha- they're, they're lost now. They're, they're, they're not here on earth anymore. And you want to see them again with your Savior, with Jesus. 
whose love for you is so intense that he died for you, the, the place that you all want to be, if, if you, even if you don't know it yet, think about that perfect place and then look back. How do you get there? Well, how you get there is a series of choices, decisions, a series of moments in your life where you begin to look and see, I, in order to get there, there are things that I have to take care of in this, in this life. Things that are going to hinder me. Things that are going to weigh me down. And then you make decisions. And you see God's next step for you. And you say, what is going to keep me from getting that next step? What is going to keep me from being the father that I want to be? What is going to keep me from being the husband that I want to be? What is going to keep me from being the employee that honors God that then becomes a witness to the gospel so that my boss can see and then maybe even I can pray for him and he can come to know Christ or she can start coming to church because they see something different in me. What is it? What is that goal? And then what is keeping me from obtaining that goal? The same kind of idea is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And here's what it says. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who's that cloud of witnesses? Well, all the saints and all the people who gave their life and their toil and their sweat, some of them killed for their faith. Who intensely and passionately follow the call of God in their life, and they're there like they are in the stadium, watching us on that track, in that race, and they're watching us and they're cheering us on, and they're there to encourage us to take the next step. And what is the next step? We throw off everything that hinders, the sin that easily entangles, and we run with perseverance, the race marked out for. Us. If you intend to win, you have to begin to look at what is entangling you. You have to look at what is happening, the things that are weighing you down. The athletes literally would strip down naked. Now, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But they would strip down to get rid of everything that would keep them from winning. My question today is, do you intend to win? Do you want to end up at the finish line doing well? And I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That's not the point. But it's a legitimate question. Discipleship's hard. Life is difficult. Sin is easy. Do you intend to win? Are you following the call of God passionately in your life? Are you even aware that God has called you? That he wants something beyond what you can even um, begin to really imagine right now. And that he wants to take you there. We're in a series called What Lies Beneath. And this entire series is about one thing, going deep. Looking inside, figuring out what's going on so that you can do what we just talked about. You can identify the things 
that are holding you back from where God wants you to be. And you can begin to systematically root them out and destroy them through your choices and the power of God. Do you intend to win? And if you intend to win, we need to be purposeful and intentional about our life. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, or 26 and 7, rather, it says, therefore, this is Paul talking, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that I have preached, when I, after I preach to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. There is an assumption underlying this truth that it is possible to disqualify yourself. I don't think I would be honest or doing anyone a favor if I said that wasn't possible. There is a way that you can disqualify yourself. And Paul is warning the Corinthians and warning us today that we do not want to disqualify ourselves. That we want to pursue God passionately with everything that we have. That this is worth it. That what he has for us is worth it. We're not going to run aimlessly. We're going to have a purpose. We're going to have a prize in our, in, in our mind. Guys, going back in order to go forward is hard. Has anyone noticed that? When you start looking back at pain, when you start looking back at hurt, when you start looking back at disappointment, when you start looking back at abuse, when you start looking back at things that have happened in your life that have brought you to this place that still haunt you, that is difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because in our hearts and deeply ingrained are, are these emotions and these things come out and they can wreak havoc on us. It's hard to go back. And if you're going to be able to go back, you've got to have a prize in your mind. You've got to see this is worth it. The reason I'm going to go back and figure out why I can't be honest with my spouse about my addiction to pornography is, is not because you want to bring more pain into your life. It's not because you want to disappoint people. You've got to move beyond all that fear and say, why am I doing it? Because I want to be healthy. Because I want a pure heart. Because the pure in heart see God. Because I want intimacy with God so I can know exactly the next step he has for me. And then through that, I can get intimacy with my spouse. We can be connected in a deep and unbelievable way. The reason that you want to protect how you speak and not speak so harshly to your friends it's not because you want to be better than them. It's not because you just want to be um, the person that never cusses or never is critical. 
No, why? What is the prize in your mind? Well, maybe if you're not as critical and maybe if you are not as harsh with your language, something will be different about you. That person will see it. God will speak through you and then they will be able to be changed and they'll come to know Jesus and they'll spend eternity in heaven with you and you can celebrate on that day. Would that be worth it? Would it be worth it? Would the pain now be worth the pleasure later? Because when it comes to looking back and when it comes to figuring out why we have the things that we have going on inside, it's hard, it's difficult. And if you don't have something in in sight, you'll give up because it's too hard. It hurts too much. You might have to have a conversation you don't want to have. You might have to write a letter you don't want to write. You might have to change things about yourself. And none of us want to do that. We're comfortable where we are, even if we don't like it. Do you intend to win? If you intend to win, you have to go back. You have to look in the past. You have to go back. And where do you go back to? Well, you have to go back to your own experiences. You have to go back to the experiences of your family, the things that have shaped you. And as you go back, one of the things that we have to be careful of, all of us, is that we don't kind of give in to the myth that we can continue to ride on our relationship with God from the past or on the experiences we had with God from the past, or on the things that happened in the past. We need something now. The past informs us. We cannot learn but looking into the past. Anything but looking into the past. But we want to make sure that we're not trying to go back and live there. Because we have to live here, now. In 1 Corinthians, in the same chapter, well, chapter 10, actually, in verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud that they all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, that they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. That's the same food and drink as us. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Christ was with them in the Old Testament. He was back thousands of years ago with them. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Paul, what are you talking about? What Paul is saying is that these people, God had taken the Israelites out of slavery. They had seen the mighty works of God. They had seen the the miracles that would leave us all like melted. Do you know what I'm saying? If we saw the kind of things they saw. They walked through on dry ground with with walls of water on either side. And God saved them. 
They experienced God. He, had gave, he gave them his law. They saw his glory. They had profound spiritual experiences. They were part of God's chosen people, the people of God that he wanted for his own heart. And yet, and yet, God was not pleased with them. And yet they experienced severe consequences for their disobedience. And the disobedience starts in the heart. Listen, God did not hold them accountable just to their behavior. God knew what we all know. Where does behavior start? It comes from here. And God saw the condition of their heart. He gave them chance after chance. God is great in compassion and forgiveness. And yet their hearts were not moving towards God, but were turned in rebellion against him and moving away from God, constantly moving away from God. And Paul does not want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of these stories. So if you're ignorant of the stories, go back and read them. You can find them in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Well, I guess it's Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You can go back and you can see how God's people, how he treated them, and then how they treated him. And he also does not want us to be ignorant and that we see what's happening and we choose to ignore it. That we choose not to learn the lessons that God has given us through these stories. Paul makes this point In verse six, he says, these things occurred as what? Examples to do what? Keep us from setting our hearts on evil things like they did. This is about the heart. They didn't make mistakes. They rebelled against God. They didn't, make an error. They took the relationship and grace that God had offered them and they spat on it. God's grace is so huge, right? It is. It is. I mean, anything you've done, he can forgive. Do you know that? I mean, it's like he will forgive it. But when he is offering you his grace and me, his grace, and instead of receiving it, I turn my back on it and walk away from it and I suffer the consequences, whose fault is that? If I fail and I turn to God or if I rebel and I turn to him in in repentance and I turn to him and say, God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. Would you please forgive me? Guess what? He will always say yes. But when we allow our hearts to get harder and harder and harder and more distant from him, and then eventually we don't even care about him anymore. We're not even thinking about him anymore. And then all of a sudden, when the consequences of life flood in like a wave over us and we are found ourselves in isolation alone, we have no one to blame but us. And I know people do things to us. 
And I know circumstances come. I'm I'm not talking about the circumstances of life that are difficult, that we can't control. I'm talking about the intentional rebellion that is in our hearts. And as we turn against God, we face the consequences of of that rebellion. But he is still, even in the midst of that, gracious to us, filled with compassion and love for us. In everything, he is gracious. These things happened as examples, lessons. If we intend to win, we need to look back. We need to start looking at what is going on in our heart and figuring out why. Why is it that we can't seem to Be faithful in our minds to our spouse. Why is it that we can't seem to kick this addiction? Yes, there's biological things happening. I know. But there's also spiritual things happening. And why were you drawn to it in the first place? There is a reality behind this that God wants us to examine and to look back. And there are areas that are so dangerous for us. There are common things that happen to us that God wants us to be aware. The first thing is he wants us to be aware of the fact that we will put things in priority over him. In 1 Corinthians ten eleven, he says, these things happen to them as examples um, for us. And then in verse 7, he says, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in rivalry. This is referring to when they made a golden calf to worship God in the way that they had inherited from Egypt and not the way God had instructed them to. Already they were going back to something, prioritizing something. They wanted to see God. They wanted to control God because then when you had an idol, you could control that God. You could make that God do what you wanted that God to do. And the Lord won't be strong-armed. We have to worship him as he wants us to worship him. And when we put something in our life as a priority over him, our career, our kids, our spouse, usually it's just the idolatry of self. We want what we want and we don't care what anyone says, even God. Avoid idolatry. And you know, guys, there is an idolatrous history in our families. Our families have certain things that they put above God. When we look back, we see it. And my, my dad was a pastor. He was great. But man, we just had this family where we couldn't disagree with each other, it felt like sometimes. That disagreement was disloyalty. Dad, if you're listening to this, I love you, and I agree with you. All right? <laughs> and also, man, we struggled with rage, man, anger. Like breaking stuff, anger. And over what? A controller? You know what I mean? The dog peed on the ground. What, whatever, dude. It wasn't the dog's fault. Maybe that was, but, but <laughs> it's not the dog's fault. We're so mad. Something is going inside of us, and we have to look back and say, what is it from my past that can help me? You know, there's another way that all of us 
really, honestly, all of us, we have to figure out our histories. And this is in the, is in the area of sexual sin. Now, I, I'm going to talk carefully here, okay? I'm going to talk carefully here. But I am going to talk about it. In 1 Corinthians 10.8, he says, uh, do not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. You can go look at the story. They were going and they were engaging in prostitution with Moabite women, okay? Something that God had asked them not to do. And they did it anyway. Now, here's what's going on. Here's the reality in our lives. All of us, if we look back somewhere, okay, most of us, somewhere is sexual sin. Adultery, incest, addiction, some kind of perversion. Maybe not in us, maybe in our families, maybe something that happened to us. And we're not going to dwell on this point, but here's the deal. There's nothing that is more binding and enslaving than that. It changes us. God wants us to look back. He wants to look at the history of our own sexual sin, the history of the sexual sin in our families, the history of the sexual sin in scripture and see there are consequences when this is not dealt with. He's warned us. It's there. We've all, many of us have felt the consequences of shame. And look, here's the thing, guys. There is hope. And if you are today dealing with something like that, we want you to come talk to us. Set up an appointment with someone on staff. We want to steer you in the right direction. It's, you know, this stuff is kind of like mold. It doesn't get better in the dark. It just keeps spreading. And we want to give you a place to talk about it. Figure it out. Because God wants you to be in freedom. There are two other things that God talks about. Which, to be honest with you, we, we don't have time to cover. It's the area of grumbling. Where we are complaining about what God has done. We're not thankful for what we have where we're dissatisfied constantly and discontent constantly with life, where everything brings us discontent. We have no thankfulness in our life and we blame God and we try to spread that discontentment to others. God doesn't want us to do that. Our families, we've learned that from how our dads dealt with stuff, how our moms dealt with stuff, the kind of complaining that they had in their lives. And he also doesn't want us to test him. Now test him in the sense that we are not taking him seriously at his word. Test him in the sense that we are doubting God's plan and provision and grace. We criticize the leaders that he's placed in our life, where we criticize the things that he's done, where we test him, we try to say, God, um, I don't really care about what you're saying, so I'm just gonna keep living however I want to live and regardless of the consequences. We're not to test God. But guys, here's what I want to tell you. And this is, the, this is the best part. Yes, there are consequences to sin. For sure. And if we intend to win, man, we got to look and we got to see what's going on in our, in our past. What's happening, it's hard. But we need to get that prize. We need to, 
We need to be systematic. We need to figure out and ask God what's going on inside. But, but I, I want to give you guys hope here because we don't deal with a God who's hopeless. We, we, don't, we can't overcome it, but it's not on us. We can't defeat sin. Jesus already did it. That's why Jesus came, because God knew we couldn't defeat sin. He knew we couldn't do it. But he tells us that God provides a way out. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, God is faithful. Man, isn't that awesome? When we are not faithful, God's still faithful. When we mess up, God is faithful. When we refuse to look back and see God's still faithful and he's still working on us, trying to get us to the place where we will submit to him, God is faithful. He won't let you or me or anyone else be tempted beyond what we can bear. He sees the temptation. He understands it. And what it says is we got to take the perspective that God has seen this already and he knows when it's going to end. And he knows that at that ending point, he has not given you a test that you can't pass. God is fair. He doesn't give us uh, tests we can't pass. It might be hard. It might be the hardest thing we ever had to do. When Ashley and I lost our daughter, Bethany, that was the hardest test I ever went through. I was so angry and bitter and mad at everybody. You know, I was afraid. I was so fearful. And God saw that, but I had a heart that loved God. I wanted to be through the fear and I wanted to be through the anger. And it was hard. It was the most difficult test we've ever been through. But God is faithful. He's faithful and he saw the end. I didn't see it. He did. And I trust the character of the one who sees it. And I can know, okay, I don't get it right now, but it's coming. The end is coming. And not only is the end coming, but God provides a way out. He actually begins to bring situations and people and resources into our life to provide a way out. Someone texts us right before we take the next drink, right? Or someone uh, sees us and asks the question, hey, man, how are things going? It looks like things aren't going that well for you. Can we get some coffee? And in that meeting with them, we don't even know we're going to do it. We just start confessing all the things that are happening inside. And then they come around us to help us uh, get help. You know, if God didn't bring these things in, it could get really bad. But guess what? God brings things in. He makes circumstances happen in his sovereignty and in his love. He provides ways out. He has all of the resources of heaven and earth, and he sees your issues. He sees the things and the pain and the hurt, and he wants you to move forward. And the way he wants you to move forward is he's going to enable you in his power to do it, give you motivation you didn't even think you had. And then he's going to give you a circumstance, an opportunity that you can take to get out of that temptation to get out of that test. 
He knows when it's going to end. He provides a way out. And the reason that God does that is it's part of his character. But he um, enables us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's given us someone who has already earned the victory for us. If we finish Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it says, let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For joy that was before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in all authority, in all power. Consider him. Think about him. Remember him. And put yourself in your imagination and think about the Jesus who suffered for you and died for you and gained victory over hell and sin and death and addiction and all of the hurt and the relationships that you've had. Jesus has gained victory and he's the one who gives victory. And you can see the opposition he endured the temptation he had, and yet he finished well. And it is his power that we have access to. So the question this morning, do you intend to win? If you intend to win, look back. Start looking at the past so that you can move forward. Make a plan. Start writing down and recording the faithfulness of God, the things that are going on in your heart. Bring people in, ask questions. Come to the staff. We would love to talk to you guys. Get counseling. Read the word, study the scriptures. Make a next step. God wants you to cross that finish line but you're going to have to look back so you can move forward. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.